friend. Welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. Okay, so a brilliant question. And I handle all of this in the book. And to make it so easy for you, yoga, meditation, tapping, havening, deep breathing, all of these things, keep doing them. Those are great wellness practices, but they fall in the category of brain preparation. They're not actually managing your mind. They're just preparing your brain and your body. So for example, deep breathing, um, one of the techniques of deep breathing that, that, um, that I've developed called the 10 second pause, which is based on a whole bunch of different research, is you breathe in for three and out for seven. And the reason you breathe out for seven is because the longer exhalation pushes more oxygen to the front of the brain and blood and increases your decision-making capability, reduces impulses. And then I add a little cognitive component, whatever. In other words, what I'm saying is that I make it very clear um, in my work that that these are all good practices, but that you've got to go beyond those. They purely prepare the brain. What's going on, U-Turn friends? I'm so excited in the mindset category to bring you someone really special. It's Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a communication pathologist and a neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind, to change their brain, to control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. She is the author of Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, Succeed. And today I'm so excited to talk to her about her brand new book. You've got to get a copy. It's called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. And you know how much I love research. So I'm so excited to be asking her on this particular episode how you can clean up your mental mess. She has a whole podcast called The Same Name. I'm going to be on the show, so I'm so excited for you to find me there. And she just shares so much information for you to really get dominion over your mind. And so I'm excited to help you guys out with that today. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for being here with me. Ashley, thank you so much. I'm really excited to chat to you. And I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation with bearing your your background and my background and our common interests in mind. So it's going to be wonderful. Thank you. It really, I mean, I got, I was telling uh, her before I started recording everyone that I had gotten just a little bit past half through the book and I have, it's like bleeding with red pen because I've underlined so much. And I love that. One of the things that stood out to me that you shared in the book that felt a little bit counter what I've been hearing is that we're living less long. I feel like with the advancement of technology and health tech and fitness technology and all of these things, sometimes it feels really common for people to say, oh, we're going to live to be 120 because we're living in an era where there's all of these advancements in medicine and in technology. And yet reading your book and finding out that actually right now that piece of the graph is going down and our lifespan doesn't look like it's going to last as long um, and and the rise of chronic illness. So I would love to just get your insight on 
you know, not just the data, but just what you're kind of concluding around why are we living less long right now? Absolutely. Well, that's um, a really, really good place to start because it is it does sound completely paradoxical, but it's eye opening because we just assume we're living longer. And, and by the way, actually, this is my 19th book on the sub in, in this field because I've been in mind brain research for nearly four decades now. So the, the, this the, I'm, I'm totally dedicated to helping people really understand mind. And I say that because that's part of the answer of why we are stuck in, in this situation. So for years, for decades, people have been living longer and we've all heard that. It's all over the media and, you know, we hear this decades and decades of be living longer because of advances in medicine and technology. And But then something started happening by 2014. A population study had been done, a massive, not mine, it was another massive population study done by a huge group of scientists across the, sort of across the globe, looking at this trend that had been, this worrying trend that had been identified, which was that instead of people living longer, the trend seemed to be reversing. People seem to be dying younger, despite the advances in medicine and technology. And by 2014, this was confirmed that people were dying younger from, and here's the, the real crux, preventable lifestyle diseases and disorders. So preventable lifestyle, two key words. And that really grabbed my attention because I saw this happening and in, in my research and in just the trajectory of following what was going on in, in how people manage mental health and mind issues and learning issues and Alzheimer's and dementias and trauma and all these kinds of things. And it really concerned me. And the reason, if you track back and, and, and look at the reasons why, and there's obviously always multiple reasons. So I'm just going to give you the sort of three, four main ones. The, the, there's one main, main, main reason. And that is that we have changed how we use our minds. We've changed our understanding of mind and we've changed how we've used our mind. And that started around 40 years ago when we started learning more about the brain and we started learning wonderful stuff. And we also found we, there was also the discovery of psychotropic medication, which is things like antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and so on. And those kind of paralleled each other and a whole new era of mental health entered. And that and it's always been pretty bad. Mental health management always hasn't doesn't have the greatest history. Um, and Entered, but we entered an era where the focus was on brain, 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 brain. Your brain made you do it. You are your brain. You, if you've got any kind of symptoms of you know worry, anxiety, they were likened or on a par, put on a par with symptoms of heart disease or cancer or diabetes. So in other words, misery or battling with life or just dealing with the adverse circumstances of life had gone from being their own huge, complex, very valid category into and subsumed into what we call the biomedical model. So suddenly now everything you experienced was a disease. Mm. And that focus grew and grew and grew and it's hit its, it hit its zenith around 2014. And that's when we see a definite confirmation that people are dying younger. So if you, so essentially what this means is if we just see you as a brain, a mechanical brain, and that if something goes wrong, there's something wrong with your brain. And we don't acknowledge your story and allow you to process your story. So for example, a war vet or someone who's been abused or whatever, they're going to suffer from severe depression and, and post-traumatic stress and that kind of thing. But that's not a disease. You can't can't just say, oh, you have the disease of. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand that that person's the story. You can't just like, full stop symptoms, disease, label, drugs, and maybe a bit of therapy, and that's it. So it's lumped under you are diseased. That's the most terrible, invalidating, stigmatizing thing you could do to someone because if you've just gone through a war, I just interviewed a Navy SEAL the other day who's tra trained people to be snipers. And I mean, this, the stories he told me and the trauma and, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of vets and you, you, you're not designed to kill people and to do those kind of things. So it's very, very traumatizing. But that's a huge story. So just to lump someone with a huge complex story under the label of PTSD, so you have 10 war vets sitting in front of me and I'm just creating a scenario and I I just say, oh, you all have the disease of PTSD. I've invalidated them. What I need to do is listen to each and every one of their stories, not drug them, which is going to just numb their brain and create brain damage, but rather to actually help them to process what they've gone through. And that's what we used to sort of do. We don't do that really at all anymore. There's obviously certain therapists that do do that, but the general uh, approach is to label, diagnose, and treat with medication as first line of, uh, of, of treatment. And that has created a whole a problem because if you suppress your mind you suppress your humanity and you're going to create a very toxic brain environment and you're going to increase your vulnerability to disease by 35 to 75 
descent, which is why we see the trend of you ignore mind, you increase vulnerability to disease, you're going to die younger. And if you keep doing that long enough, which you've done for 40 years, so we're now in that era pre-COVID, and now COVID chopped off another year of people's lives. Um, we are in this era where people between the ages of 25 and 64 are dropping down like dropping dead way younger than they should and that's people just starting on their career and at the peak of their career yes. and so that's like really sad the other quick reason is so that's the main reason mind also entered the same time as this um ignore the sort of uh pushing down of the mind the entry the entry of psychotropic drugs which damage the brain and shorten lifespan and cause all kinds of cardiovascular neurological issues also, the industrialized food movement entered around that time. So we started eating the modern American diet. We know enough about that, that wiping people's bodies and stuff out and causing increase in diseases and, you know, fatty liver disease and obesity, things that shorten lifespan. And also enter the technological age, which is brilliant, but mismanaged. The technological age has created hurry sickness. We can do a lot more now than we used to. We don't process information as well as we used to because we gather so much data. So we've become data capturers instead of data processes. And that's not how the mind and brain work. So those four reasons account for this paradoxical thing of people dying younger, but there's way out of it. There's hope. And that's what why I wrote this book. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I wrote this book, cleaning up our mental mess. I, I actually, you know, I have so many questions for you and I feel like, oh my gosh, this podcast could be five hours because I feel like so attached to every question that I wrote down. And by the way, I almost never write down my questions before a podcast, but there was just so much information in here. I didn't want to miss anything. Um, a couple of questions. So I saw that there's been a 20% or so spike in chronic conditions I don't know if I'm considered chronic, but I was just diagnosed with Lyme disease and I don't really have that many symptoms other than like a few joint aches. And I was really floored by the doctor's approach. I, have, I think I have a good doctor and her approach was very much so to look at my entire body's ecosystem so that my body is so healthy that it's not really a good place for Lyme to live and kick up. And so the way that I've been approaching it is through my diet, no sugar, dairy, or gluten, which has felt kind of like, oh my God, what is left for me to eat? But I'm definitely making my way with that. Yeah. Um, I'm also looking at going to the dentist and making, getting scans and, you know, just found some bacteria and have to get it surgically removed in my mouth. I'm doing so many different things. I'm doing ozone treatments. No idea what you think about those. Mm -hmm. All of this is to say that what has shocked me the most with my diagnosis is that I have to admit that I have privilege. I'm in an entrepreneurial community of people who are very wellness focused. And they all told me to join this health membership and get a bunch of blood tests done. And I was feeling like 90% good. I was feeling like most people, maybe even better, where, you know, some afternoons I need that second cup of coffee, I get tired. And I told my friends, yeah, sometimes I have brain fog, but I'm a pretty high achieving, high functioning person. And I was totally floored when I found out that I had this diagnosis and even more so when my doctor told me to go get these other things checked, like the fact that I probably should get my tonsils out, the fact that I have this stuff going on in my mouth with my dental appointment. It's like, these are things that I realized so many people probably have too, that they don't even know. And it makes my heart feel so sad that, you know, it, it feels sometimes like being medically aware is something that is only for the wealthy, something that people have to pay for to find out about themselves. And so I'm curious to kind of talk to you a little bit more about why has there been a 20% spike? You, you mentioned those four reasons around why the death rate is going up or why we're living less long, more so. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit about this spike in the chronic conditions? What are they? And what are some basic things that you think are going on in people's body that maybe is influenced by thought, maybe not. I mean, I don't know if I thought my way into Lyme disease, but I definitely know that I can think my way out of it probably. So would love to hear some thoughts from you just around chronic illness. And also I, I want to understand, is it reversible? Because I'm 33 years old. I have all of these little things that I'm tending to now, and I want to live a long life. I want everybody who's listening to live a long life, 
So I'm curious, like, what are some things we can check? What are some chronic illnesses that are spiking that we can be aware of? And can we reverse any symptoms we're having now? So lots of questions. Okay. That's a lo- yeah, that's a loaded question. And it's a brilliant question. And just to go to, I'm, I'm going to unpack it. And just if, if I forget something along the way, because it's a lot, just prompt me. Okay, so first of all, let's start with the concept of Lyme disease. Interestingly enough, one of my family members has also just been diagnosed. Lyme disease is one of those weird things that you you pick up. It's a it's it's a insect borne disease, and it um, is something that you pick up somewhere. And so that's you didn't think yourself into that. There are existing diseases out there that um, that we can pick up, and so that definitely. And a lot of it we we don't know all the reasons. And this is not a whole um, sort of archaeological and what is the correct word sort of looking at the whole history of disease. But that's a whole science. And just in a nutshell, disease comes from sort of mismanagement of the earth and that kind of stuff and so it's there's a long back thing back in story there but you would have picked up Lyme disease somewhere and there's different forms and Lyme disease is one of those really sneaky things that hides and it hides behind any level of inflammation so it could very well have been hiding behind the bacteria that they identify that it identified in your mouth and that kind of stuff other thing with Lyme disease is it is a it has neuropsychiatric side effects so it does cause things like anxiety and insomnia and depression and that kind of, and not it, it, because and the reason why is it's goes in the brain and um, the brain then um, it doesn't it doesn't allow the structures of the brain to function as well as it could it creates a bit of inflammation I'm trying to make this as simple as I can and so therefore when our brain is not working so well our mind the brain can't actually cause anything but the disease can any kind of disease can uh, because your brain and your body are physical substances damage can happen to them and when traumatic brain issues something like Lyme disease bacteria the viruses these get into our body and they damage the brain and body or brain or body. Wait, one question about that is, do you feel like, because I know that I was bit by a tick or something like that that gave me the Lyme disease, but one of the questions I've been sitting with is, has everyone probably been bit by something at some point that got a bacteria in their system? And is the difference between me who might be having some light symptoms and someone who's not having symptoms potentially the fact that maybe I've made some lifestyle lifestyle decisions that has made the ecosystem of my body potentially a positive place for a bacteria to thrive like that. Yes, for sure. So, so to answer that question, um, I'm going to quickly say that the mind is the most important factor in any disease management. Mind is the most important factor in everything. Mind is your aliveness. If you if you are dead, your brain and body disintegrate. Your brain and body can do nothing without your mind. Your brain. So your brain. Um, if I had to hold a person's dead brain in my hand now, we could stare at it all day long. It would never produce thought. So the philosophy that I'm, the, the point that I'm making, is that your physical brain and body can't do anything. But when you're alive. Your mind is alive because your mind is your aliveness and your mind is this energetic force surrounding your body and moving through your body. It's gravitational field to use science to understand it, quantum physics and and basic physics and electromagnetics and things that Einstein discovered. But your mind is a force, an energetic force in and around your body, a bit like in the electromagnetic field when you you know you have a magnet and you put it in the middle of iron filings and the iron filings arrange themselves into that pretty pattern, which is the electromagnetic field. You can't see the field without the iron filings, but the field is there. That's what the mind is like. The brain is the magnet and the mind is this field. So your mind works through your brain and your body, your brain and body respond. Your brain and your body, and this is fundamental to everything and all the, and, I'm, and I'm, I actually am answering the question, all the questions you've asked so far, but I want to go back to the basic core principle that is underlying this answer. Mind is not brain. Mind is this gen- is this energetic force around. Mind is 99% of who we are. Mind is your aliveness. And mind is how you think and feel and choose. You are always thinking, always feeling, always choosing. You, you never stop. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds without your mind working, which means you're thinking, feeling, and choosing. Right now, as you're all listening to me, you're hearing sound waves and there's also electromagnetic light waves and all kinds of things happening. So my words are these these waves of energy. Your gravitational field grabs that 
and you process this, this through your think, feel, choose, you push that through your brain and your body, and you create this quantum response in your brain and body, which then creates these electromagnetic and chemical and genetic responses. I know this is complicated, but the, and then the result is a consequence. A consequence, you build a thought, and that thought is made of proteins. And my words are little vibrations in the proteins, and the proteins arrange themselves into branches in a tree-like structure. And so you are growing trees in your brain made of proteins of what I'm saying. And you're doing this at 400 billion actions per second. And you're doing it through your mind. So your mind is receiving. It's, it's, it's the experience, me talking. Mind receives this. Think, feel, choose, processing, pushes it through the brain. Brain does all these magical, crazy, electromagnetic, genetic things. And then you get this, this in response because of the energy of the mind. And you build this thought tree. And that thought tree has got roots, which is what I'm saying, the stuff I'm telling you, and the tree trunk and the branches are your interpretation of what I'm saying, your perception, because we all perceive things in our own unique way. Now, having laid that as a foundation, we see that our brain and our body are what the scientists call Nobel Prize winning scientists will say that we are wired for love, which essentially means we don't have structures in the brain or the body for toxicity, for Lyme disease, for COVID, for a toxic trauma that we haven't dealt with, or for a war trauma, or for an argument. We actually don't have structures that are in the brain that, that can accommodate that. So when we experience that, the brain, the proteins have to kind of distort themselves to create this response, because when you think and feel and choose and push energy through the brain, the brain has to respond. The brain is neuroplastic, and the DNA responds. So you, it can never not respond to the mind. So it responds, but in a distorted way. But now we build this toxic tree. So instead of it being a pretty green tree and healthy green tree, it's now a toxic, wiry, ugly looking, very much alive tree. And that now count is, it goes against the natural wired for love nature of the brain and body and the optimism bias of the mind. So in the gravitational fields, that toxic experience, whether it's war trauma or sexual trauma or an argument or whatever it is, or people pleasing or whatever, whatever it is, a racism, whatever, is a toxic, um, is, a, is like a, a disruption instead of a, a smooth wave in the gravitational field, that area would be a, like a toxic wave, this erratic, sharp wave. And in the brain, it, instead of a green tree, it's like this toxic black tree. And then the DNA is also affected. So if we are, if we imagine that our mind is this massive forest of trees, because every experience from at a certain point in the womb to when you're born till now, is converted by your mind into trees inside of your mind and in your brain. And that's what informs your, it's all your nurturing, it's your beliefs, it's your experience, everything. And that informs every next decision. So if you have a, okay, one more thing. In the forest, some of the trees are tiny. So those are like new experiences, like maybe something that happened this morning or yesterday. Then the bigger ones would be more established. The bigger they are, the longer they've been there. And that goes for the green trees, which would be the healthy, and the black trees or toxic looking trees, which would be the toxic experiences. As humans, we all all have a combination of these. When I talk about cleaning up the mental mess, I'm talking about cleaning up those toxic trees because they create, and this goes to now the, the most recent part of your question, which is what about the environments that we create? So we create this environment around in our around and in our body by whichever thoughts we pay the most attention to. So if I am looking at the world through the strongest combination of thoughts, which may happen to be a bunch of pretty toxic trees, which is maybe because I have an undealt with set of traumas that have kind of all linked up together over the years, and that's influenced my perspective of life, that's toxic. So it's created an imbalance in the energy fields and in the brain, and we've got this increased um, we've got this, these increased toxic trees in the brain. It's affected every cell of our brain and our body because we store these thoughts in our brain, our mind, in these fields, and in the DNA of our body. And we have 37 to 100 trillion cells. So that's why we feel it in our body too. And so what we've done with the toxicity is we've created an environment that's not very healthy, that's increased our vulnerability to disease. So if I've done that, if I'm living like that, and it's not through any fault of our own, it's through 
maybe just how we were nurtured, just trying to cope. It's just, you know, if you're not, no one asks to be to be traumatized and no one can control the events and circumstances of life. So most of the time we are responding in the only way that we know how, and it's not always sustainable. Very often it is toxic. And until dealt with, it does create, and if it becomes a way of seeing life, it, it creates this, this toxicity and increases vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98%, which is massive. So what we've done is create an environment that works against our natural wired for love, which is basically survival. Our brain and body and mind are designed for survival. So anything that's written survival, whether it is COVID virus, whether it is Lyme disease, whether it is a toxic trauma that we haven't dealt with, whether it's that argument that keeps happening in your relationship, whether it's that people pleasing you just keep doing, whether that's that rumination that's consuming you most of the day, whether that's feeling of being stuck, whatever. That is creating these environments that increase your vulnerability. When you have this toxic forest, I mean, you, I mean, you have this forest and you've got this toxic section that's got so big because you haven't dealt with it. And then you happen to, and it's maybe a trauma, then you happen to go somewhere and get bitten by a, a, a parasite and you now get a, it's a tick and you now get Lyme disease. That Lyme disease, already that toxic forest has created tremendous inflammation in your brain and your body. If you look in the first half of the book where I talk about my clinical trials, I show in my clinical trials, I show how when the people, my subjects came in, they were put into a control and experimental group. The control group didn't get mind management, but got all the testing. The experimental group got mind management, but no, but they got um, the experimental group got the mind management, which is the neurocycle, which is in the second part of the book. And all of them got psychological testing, narrative testing, my self-regulation scale, blood work done to look at inflammation, cortisol, DNA. Um, we looked in the brains, we did neuroscientific stuff extensive testing at multiple time points over a nine-week period. The whole study was six months. So there was a final test period at six months. And I say all that to say that these subjects came in with extreme depression, with, uh, with all the labels you can imagine, with very sad stories, really like extreme situations. And um, the the some of them were just like really, they were still functioning day to day, but like really unhappy. And so there was a whole range of different situations. And the, the, the point being here is that we saw a direct correlation between the state of a person's mind and mind management and what it looked like in their blood, um, which then told us what's happening in the brain and body. So we saw high levels of inflammation, high levels of cortisol, high levels of homocysteine, high levels of ACTH. So certain biomarkers which tell us that there's something wrong in the body. When you have something wrong in the body, your body, because it's designed for and wired for love and survival, biomarkers are telling us, hey, something's wrong, pay attention. Okay, so that's what we looked. We looked at what kind of biomarkers are, what they look like for these person in these extreme states of mind, um, um, mind issues. And we also looked at the DNA, specifically at things like the telomeres, which are very, very uh, a new area of research, very exciting area of research, very um, exact area of research, helping us understand the influence of mind, mind management, messy minds, clean minds, managed minds, on cell health, which then um, then indicates vulnerability to disease and also um, early aging and early death. And what we saw was that without, at the beginning of our study, all of our subjects had very weak looking telomeres. They were short and not that healthy. The subjects in the experimental group, by the time they had gone through three weeks and, and, and you've, got to, you've got to do six weeks, nine weeks of neurocycling to get the full effect. But already at three weeks, we saw changes in telomere length. We saw changes, we saw a inflammation dropping. We saw the biomarkers improving. By, six, by nine weeks, they had stabilized and normalized. When you have short, weak telomeres, some of our subjects, I mentioned that it indicates cell health, vulnerability to disease, premature aging. So in terms of, of the telomeres, our subjects at the beginning of the study, some of them were in their, say, let's say, for example, mid-30s, but they had bodies of sickly 65-year-olds. So they were 30 in their 30s, but they had bodies that were sickly 65-year-olds. So the telomeres, the telomeres are what tell you that. And I want to say they, they tell they tell they tell you that. Yeah. So they they sitting so that's vulnerability to disease. So this is all this environmental stuff. Okay, you want to unpack some of that. Hey U-turners, so sorry 
for the quick interruption, but if you're anything like me working from home, this quarantine has got you craving some structure. And I've gotten so much out of committing to a morning routine. Every single morning that's looked like burning some Palo Santo, sipping some coffee, journaling, and of course, making my protein shake with Organifi's vanilla or chocolate protein powder. I replace one meal a day with this protein powder. I just grab my Vitamix, I put in a scoop of their vanilla protein, frozen organic blueberries, a scoop of sunflower butter, and coconut milk into the blender, and boom! That gets my little candy-addicted five-year-old living inside of me so happy, feeling like she just started her workday with what tastes like a dessert that is somehow healthy. So if you follow me on the gram, you know that even when I try to eat healthy, I tend to have little snacksidents, and that's why I'm so grateful Organifi is now sponsoring the U-Turn podcast. It is so great to have their support. So if you are looking for some consistency and structure in your diet, I cannot recommend their protein powder enough. And they just upped our discount with them to 20% off. So just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And don't forget to use the U-Turn code at checkout. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I feel like telomeres were one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. So I'm excited. Can you kind of paint just a slower picture for everybody who has maybe never heard about them before? I know that there's a role with telomeres and DNA just so that they can kind of understand how groundbreaking this research is that you're doing. Absolutely. So a telomere is a, is a, is a marker of um, how healthy your body is and kind of a, a, an indication of your potential um, in terms of physical and mental health. In the past, we've always thought that a telomere was controlled mainly by um, the kind of your diet. So it's always been sort of looked at as treating people's diets, and that does, does play a massive role. But now the new research, of which mine is one of them, shows that actually your telomeres are more controlled by your mind than they are by what you eat and because your mind controls the benefit of eating anyway. So if you think of Jurassic Park and you think of the DNA ladder, that we can all visualize that, then a chromosome you would pull out of that and a chromosome looks like an X. So if you cross your two fingers in front of you, your two index fingers, and then just look at your nails, your nails would be the telomeres. So they are the ends of chromosomes. And so the telomeres are the end points of chromosomes and the role they play is that they help with cell division and chromosomes are involved in cell division. And you make about a million cells every second. So you're kind of very prolific and very brilliant. But the health of the cells that you make is dependent on on how healthy the telomeres are and the telomeres health is dependent on how messy your mind or how uh, how managed your mind is so very messy mind means short telomeres unhealthy telomeres which means unhealthy cells which is why some of the subjects in my study had without mind management had biological ages or unhealthy cells that told us that their bodies were 30 sickly 30 year older bodies than what they should have that's not a nice proclamation to have over someone. And that's actually um, then puts you in that bracket of dying younger. But you can. the good news is that you can reverse that. So within three weeks, we saw the telomeres getting stronger with mind management. And by, by nine weeks, they had significantly increased in length and strength, which meant that the, pe- that the cell health and biological aging was now back to kind of back to a normal state. And now they're chronological age and body age were the same in nine weeks. This is really groundbreaking. It's phenomenal. I didn't use drugs. I didn't use any kind of medication. I didn't use any kind of um, herbal treatments, dietary intervention. It was pure mind management. The exact thing that I did with them is the NeuroCycle in the second half of the book. They got it in an app form and I do have an app called the NeuroCycle app, which is on Google Play and iTunes, which is literally me walking you through the process. So the book and the app work really nicely together as sort of adjunct kind of process. And so the the control group, they didn't get the mind management. So their, their DNA did not heal. Okay, so it kind of got worse. And we saw the same thing in the brain, the people with mind management, we saw their brain healing beautifully. And in the book, I've put in colored um, graphs of looking inside the brain of, I did a couple of case studies for people to see this. And the one control group person had a very, what we call a blue brain, which meant that all the waves and the energy and blood flow were kind of flatline and which meant that the person was just not functioning and they weren't. They were very, they were literally not getting out of bed, backing to go to work, just 
really bad situation. And by the end of the study, they, by the 21 days, their brain had stabilized. By the end of the study, their brain had literally gone to a state where they had gone from saying, I am depression, to, and I mentioned this in the beginning, to I know why I'm depressed and I know how to manage it. So we see the telomeres lengthening, we see the brain stabilizing and going back online like it should and energy flowing like it should. And we see the biomarkers like histamine, inflammation dropping. So an immediate, what you do with your mind influences your brain and your body. Yes. And, and if your brain and your body are messed up, you increase vulnerability to disease. So therefore, you're very healthy. You've got a good attitude. So it's very strong a possibility that, you, um, that you've been managing a lot of your toxicity because we all have it, and I'm not being rude. You're, you're a mental yeah. mess just like me and like every other human. But there's some of us manage it more than others, and that's what I'm trying to teach people to do. The more you manage it, the healthier the environment. So here, classic case in point, if you have a tremendous amount of anxiety and a pattern of anxiety in your life, anxiety is not an it. It's not an illness. It is a response. It's a warning signal that something is going on in your life. So if you say, oh, my gosh, this anxiety, I've got clinical anxiety, too. I've got brain diseases, I've got to go to the doctor, my life is this, and I, I'm anxious, and I can't do this, and I can't. If you live like that, you've created this really toxic environment. You've increased your vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98%, and you are now very vulnerable. But if you say, okay, anxiety is not scary, Anxiety is actually a helpful message. It's not an it, it's not a disease. It's a warning signal of an underlying cause. There's a reason, in other words, why I'm anxious. So I'm going to embrace it. I'm not going to stand under the apple tree and let all the apples hit me on the head, you know, the apples of being the events and circumstances of life. I'm going to stand back and I'm going to pick the apples and control this. Now, the minute you take that, you, you, do, you do that shift of embracing and seeing the message of anxiety as helpful and you'll get through it and you can embrace process and reconceptualize, now your environment of your body instantaneously, Ashley, changes. You, you decrease that vulnerability instantaneously. And as long as you continue to manage, and which is embrace, process, and reconceptualize, and that's what the neurocycle helps you do, and you do it over time, that your body shifts away from that 1,400 neurophysiological responses working against you to 1,400 neurophysiological responses working for you. And that includes the telomeres and all the things I was saying earlier on. And that's powerful. So your brain and body and mind are designed to look at warning signals as helpful messengers. And when you see them like that, even though you haven't solved the anxiety yet, and even though you still will probably have anxiety the rest of your life, but the difference is, is that it's not an it's, it's not a disease. It doesn't control you. It's a response. So therefore, when you feel anxiety, you know what it's coming from and you know how to manage it versus I am anxiety and I can't do anything about it. That I am anxiety. I can't do anything about it. It's a disease that causes vulnerability to disease, to other diseases, cancers, etc., lifestyle diseases that, that basically kill people younger than they should. But when you say, okay, it's helpful and I'm going to work through neurocycling, I'm going to manage my mind, that's when your whole body shifts into managing, so into into a healthy state. So even though the anxiety hasn't, it may still take you nine weeks to, and maybe multiple cycles of nine weeks, 63 days to solve it, the fact that you're doing the mind managing puts you into a healthy state. Okay, so that's that. That's the key there. So that's a long answer. Probably it actually answers kind of all of your questions so far because that yeah. it answers the chronic disease situation. Chronic means long term. Acute means short, quick. Um, so chronic, like a, a chronic and acute, would be a heart attack. Chronic would be like Lyme disease that's in your body and it's very difficult to control, but can be controlled. And it hides behind inflammation and hides behind things. And and it gets once you bring down inflammation, then it starts manifesting in joints and mind and all kinds of places. But that's and that's chronic. It's long term, but it can you can get your body to such a healthy state that you can actually control it and hopefully eventually yes. eliminate it. Oh, Dr. Leaf, I am going to be like glitter on the inside, sparkling by the time <laughs> I am done with all of these things I'm doing. Acupuncture, ozone, the, my diet, like I'm so committed. And it's interesting just watching what my mind has done with Lyme, where obviously for like a week I, I cried and just was like waking up in the middle of the night thinking to myself like, oh, I have something that my understanding is it's kind of like cancer in the sense where like you go into remission, it doesn't just go away forever. Um, and you can kick it back up if you make unhealthy decisions with your body. So I, that was the story that I was told. And I kind of cried over that. And then after like five days of crying, 
I just moved into acceptance. And then now my mind is in a place where I'm like, okay, there's everybody who has symptoms and doesn't feel well from Lyme. And then there's me who's on the way out with Lyme. Like it's on its way out. So well, there we go. That's the thing. And, and the important thing actually there that I want to say to you is, is your stress, your mind, your mind involvement, because that ozone therapy, fantastic. I totally believe in it. all the things you're doing. Will you, the effectiveness of those will be are dependent on, on your thinking, feeling and choosing. So you can do the ozone therapy, but if you go in, in a negative state of mind, you won't benefit as much as if you, which is what I was saying earlier on. You can do all the treatments, but it's your mind that facilitates the effectiveness of treatments. That's so critical. We see this with all medication. We see this with people who've got cancer, who've got any kind of disease, that the mind is going to increase or decrease the effectiveness of treatment. Yes. Mind is the prime mind is the primary source. Mind is your aliveness. So if and it's always working. So if you don't manage the mess, and we all messy. And and I, and what I'm saying is that I, I like now I don't say that I don't ever have a mental mess. Far from it. Just listen to my podcast. I'm incredibly um, open about what I do and how I manage it. And um, in fact, I'm doing a podcast in a couple of weeks' time on just how I battled with eating disorders and how I got through it using mind management because eating disorder interventions are pretty much ineffective. And that's what the research shows, even the most recent research. So the the point is that. I know what to do. I know how to recognize it. I'm so self-regulated. I've trained myself. And this is what this, this stuff I teach will teach you to do. I'm so self-regulated, which if, and it's not just me, you can be as much. This is how humans are designed. This You can have this too, anyone listening, because and that's what I showed with my research. You have a mind and you have the ability to control your mind because in the middle of that forest that I painted that picture of, there's this huge strip down the middle, which is perfect. And that is the core of our humanity, the core of our mind, the core of this I know what to do kind of thing, this wired for love, optimism, bias, etc. This thing that we've discovered in science. And, and, and an example of that would be when you'd give someone great advice and you suddenly think, wow, where did that come from? You know, it's that wonderful insight that we have. And I know I should do this. That's from the wise mind, but I'm not doing it. That's from the messy mind. And you want to be able to blend the wise mind with the, the messy mind or the wired for love mind, whatever you want to call it. I love and yeah, which is so cool. So essentially what I have trained myself to do, and I'm still training myself to do, is I'll still get irritated, but I recognize it really quickly and I find out why I'm feeling irritated and I get it under control. I use the neurocycle. If I see any patterns developing in in um, in my life as, or, or starting to rise up, I will not ignore them. I'll pay attention and I'll go and do the neurocycling over, this, over the nine weeks. So it's, I live a lifestyle like this. Every day for 15 to 45 minutes while I'm getting ready, I am doing a detoxing neurocycle, working on either toxic habit or a trauma or something. And then every day during the day, all day long, I'm self-regulated and I'm doing little neurocycles all day long. Neurocycle hacks, I call them, for little things. Like I work with my family. I have three, four kids. Three of my daughters work for me and my husband. So we're a family business. So it's very easy to get irritated with your family when you live and work together 24-7. And so you can easily get irritated and have to go into a business meeting and with a whole bunch of people and look all smiley and happy and be all together. Meanwhile, you've thoroughly irritated. <laughs> I'll use a neurocycle to immediately get me under control. Or we'll have a little argument or you read something, something happens in the business that throws you or, or you get super excited and you're so excited you can't focus and you have to calm down. I'll use a neurocycle and so on. So it is a lifestyle. What I'm, it doesn't replace therapy. It's not a technique. It is a system that every human has going anyway. The neurocycle is something that you do non-consciously at 400 billion actions per second anyway, because it's how you stay alive. So all I've done is study that process and make it conscious and then teach it to use that you can use it for yourself and it enhances therapy. So we have lots of therapists and coaches and counselors that get their clients, and I know you're a coach too, they get their clients onto the NeuroCycle app, reading the NeuroCycle book, doing it, and then that's the agency and then in sessions sharing the growth and dealing with some of the painful stuff that you've got to face because it always gets worse before it gets better. So that's just kind of an overview of, of sort of the lifestyle component, the fact that mind, 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 we've got to focus on mind. I love this. Okay. I have a few key questions that I want to make sure I ask you about. You talked about anxiety as a warning response and that, and I want to get kind of like, if it's possible, a little mini overview for people who want to better understand what the neurocycle management process is that you have so that they can start turning things around for themselves. And of course they can read the book, which can take it deeper. There's a few Absolutely. things I'm having. 
Number one is I feel like there's a lot of modalities to manage your mind. And sometimes it can be very overwhelming. Like we've got breath work, we've got meditation, we've got yoga. Um, it's so much tapping, you know, there's so many different ways. What is your message for people who are kind of overwhelmed with how to figure out which way they want to weave into their life? Because I know that, you know, obviously if somebody enters into your process and your system to manage their mind, they'll have more success with this, but it can be tough to commit to a new lifestyle and some new practices or modalities that you do every single day. So I'm curious if you have a favorite between breath work or meditation or any of that. And I also wanted to ask your opinion on shrooms, like the drug. And I know that right now we're in a time where a lot of people are taking shaman administered mushrooms. I myself have had mushrooms once and I found it profoundly insightful. I'm someone who's very conservative. I have a sister who died from, you know, she was a drug addict. And so for me, I've never touched drugs. And so it was a huge thing for me to try mushrooms and I, I don't necessarily recommend it to the world, but I'm curious what feedback you have about people who are taking mushrooms to work on their mind or process trauma with their brain. I know how powerful that could be and just different modalities that you recommend for people. Okay, so brilliant question. And I handle all of this in the book and to make it so easy for you, yoga, meditation, tapping, havening, deep breathing, all of these things, keep doing them. Those are great wellness practices, but they fall in the category of brain preparation. They're not actually managing your mind. They're just preparing your brain and your body. So for example, deep breathing, um, one of the techniques of deep breathing that, that, um, that I've developed called the 10 second pause, which is based on a whole bunch of different research, is you breathe in for three and out for seven. And the reason you breathe out for seven is because the longer exhalation pushes more oxygen to the front of the brain and blood and increases your decision-making capability and reduces impulsivity. And then I add a little cognitive component, whatever. In other words, what I'm saying is that I make it very clear um, in my work that that these are all good practices, but they, you've got to go beyond those. They purely prepare the brain. They get oxygen levels up. They get the PAG, which is a part of the brain that helps reset the brain and helps stimulate things that can help reduce inflammation. And so uh, meditation, if you take it in its full context, not the deconstructed version that is done in the, a lot in the West, your mind travels, time travels all the time. So you can't just stay in the now for a moment and think that's going to fix everything that comes up the rest of the day it'll be it's like a it's like an emo it's 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 a momentary calming down brain preparation activity but they're not enough to change behavior so that's the the, the massive distinction so whatever practice you do and you'll see i say this so clearly in my book and in the neurocycle app i even have i even take you through a one to three minute brain preparation every single day and you can use those you can create your own you can do longer ones um and that's and that's essential brain pep, you've got to get your brain and body in a state. You want to, Essentially what all of those do is they increase oxygen, they increase blood flow, they reduce neurochemical chaos, they increase a very nice balance between the different neurochemicals like dopamine, serotonin, anandamide, et cetera. Um, they basically physiologically get your, you know, your pH balance and all kinds of amazing physiological, neurophysiological things that are very important because if you recall, I answered earlier on that the mind is not the brain, that the mind is 99% and it's this gravitational field that moves around and through the brain and the brain and body respond to the mind. So in the brain and body are 1%. So all these practices will be having, will have a beautiful impact on the brain and the body preparing them. So if your computer is thrown on the floor, you're going to have a hard time using it. So things like all those practices help you to not throw your computer on the floor, which is your brain and your body, helps to keep your brain and your body um, healthy. I do all of I do the I do yoga, I do hot yoga, I do the fasted workouts, I do the breathing, I do, I love Wim Hof, he's one of my friends, I interview him, we do research together. Um, I do, um, I believe in tapping. I just do whatever I feel works for me in that day, in that moment, et cetera. So I think that handles that side. So work out what works for you. There's a whole smorgasbord of things that are incredibly wonderful. Find what works for you, but remember those are preparation. Mindfulness is a word that is bantered, thrown around a lot and has been decontextualized. Mindfulness is pretty much um, in its full context is self-regulation if it's done properly. 
but the way it's explained very often is it's being aware of the moment and kind of non-judgmentally being aware of you in the moment. Excellent little exercise, really good, but it's brain preparation because your mind will never just stay in the moment. It's impossible. Your mind time travels constantly. You're always going through the forest and looking at the past. Every every time, every as soon as you start focusing on the next moment at the business meeting, whatever you do next, your mind is time traveling. Every time you daydream, which is three quarters of your day, we go into these think, you know, we go into these inside of our mind we time travel so a forced moment of mindfulness is an excellent training exercise for for preparing your mind and brain and body to work together it also creates lovely integration between brain and mind but then you have to go beyond and that's where the neurocycle fits in so the neurocycle is not a new technique it's a system it's a system for something that to to make what you're doing anyway all the time because you're alive which is thinking feeling and choosing it's just to make it more efficient so it's not something, it's it's actually an essential life skill. It's it's sort of one of those things that like you brush your teeth every day. You you actually should know how to manage your mind because your mind's working regardless of whether you manage it or not. So my argument is, well, then why don't you learn to manage it? Because you do have agency. And the management leads to the point that I was getting to earlier on that I can now manage my mind to the point where maybe I would have been upset by something for days at a time and it would have influenced a whole bunch of stuff in a, in a few over my life over a few days if I was upset by someone. Now I can get that under control in a few moments. So the next moment's not impacted by the previous negative moment. So it's, that's that's my management. So I can be messy or I can be in control, or I can be messy, recognize the mess and get back under control because you are going to make messes because yes. life is very experimental. Does that put everything in context? Yeah, that brings up, I think, kind of around my final question. So you talked about anxiety as a messenger, and I feel like a lot of relationships in our lives are kind of a mixed bag, like our relationship with our career, like, you know, maybe some days we love it. And then other days we feel anxiety. We have a big meeting we have something going on, or maybe our romantic partner. You know, I feel like a lot of relationships have open issues where it's like, we're really happy, but this issue is an open issue because we haven't worked it out yet. And it could be open for years. And there's like anxiety induced from that. And so my, my curiosity is, you know, you talk about not absorbing, absorbing negative energy in your book. And I think there's a lot of like trendy social media graphics about not absorbing negative energy. But one thing I've been personally struggling with is I've done a really good job creating a really good community, having really good friends. I'm pretty much just around positive energy and positive mindset all the time. And yet, whether I'm with members of my family over the holidays, my extended family, cousins, or with my partner's family, I've found that these are people in our lives on a recurring basis. It's our family. And sometimes I will find that the conversation feels really negative or really victimized, or they're complaining a lot. And it's not that I don't have space for any of those things, but it starts to wear you down when you're around that. And so I know anybody listening could remove the negative people from their life or not choose to be in situations where they're surrounded by complaining or victimization or whatever. And it's not to be, you know, be toxically positive on my side or to be invalidating. It's just, I know how important it is to surround ourselves with what our mind is listening to as well. And so what feedback do you have or what can you share with us around the steps as like a small overview for your process so that people can really face those anxious moments in their partnership or their career, or they can kind of face those, those negative relationships where it's like, all right, this is my family and I'm with them today on the boat and this person won't stop you know, complaining or going on and on. And I don't see the point of it. Like what, what would be like a little mini process if we slowed down your system or just gave a little bite size for anybody listening for them to take with them in those moments? Absolutely. Excellent question. Okay. So just because I'm going to give a bite-sized version, there are lots of worked examples in the book and the app also has a lot of examples. So example, I have an actual neurocycle guide for how to deal with toxic relationships. For example, that's one of them. I have many guides in the app that we've, that we've put in. So that's just FYI. So if you want to know more, obviously you can go and see all the worked examples and the audio examples in the, in the app. So, um, and also then second, quickly, second part, anxiety is a warning signal. It's not a disease it is a response to an adverse circumstance in this case you're on the boat you've got a family member who is really toxic and always negative or maybe very jealous and envious of you and it creates this like tension between you or whatever whatever it is um, and that you do feel that in your body 
So coming back to the concept of how we've, we actually, um, be, because we have this energy force and because the toxic thought in our brain of this relationship, it's, 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 there's that relationship, there's, it's, it's in your brain. So the communication you've had up to the point that you're on the boat, I'm just going to take that example, is a tree in your brain and is a wave in your mind. So you're going onto that boat already anticipating and anxious and already generating photons from that thought out of your body. So it's already coming out of your body and hitting that other person and that other person has the same situation. So this is Einstein's work on the photoelectric effect and how we generate photons. So everything in your that you think of becomes this real structural thought that's generating this these pulses of energy and it's toxic and that's how we feel it. That's why when you're around negative people, you can literally, it's like someone throwing stones at you or something and you can, like it's palpable. You know, you say things like the atmosphere is palpable and you could cut through the atmosphere with a knife and yeah. you know those kind of comments it's real you're totally talking real scientific stuff yeah. so to have that awareness is the first thing and that that because it's in a small environment on the boat and it's this it's a family member and 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 you know there's this you've, it's kind of got there's the anxiety that's anxiety provoking so the anxiety is a warning signal of the dysfunctional relationship so the way to do these multiple things, first of all, you would eventually have to do something because it's a pattern. And that doing something is you're going to have to go and do a 63-day cycle to find out where this thing started. What is the origin story? What are the roots? So that you can actually reconceptualize in order to not let that person affect you in that way. So that's the in the long you would have to do that in the long term. Otherwise, this is going to keep happening. But in that moment, you can gather awareness. First step, gather awareness of your of, of the of, of, of the emotional four different signals the emotional signals which is like the anxiety and sort of negative anticipation and like being on edge or whatever then also of your physical like your body's like you've got it's not in your stomach um behavioral you already kind of got this withdrawn look on your face and you feel yourself tensing and pulling back and you're just not relaxed in what you're saying i'm just making stuff up and then um, perspective, you are already anticipating there's a negativity between the two of you. So you've got this, oh, this is going to be a bad day again. So you gather awareness in a very, very um, accepting way. You don't think, oh, it's bad. I shouldn't be thinking this. I'm so you know, guilt, shame, condemnation. You don't do that. You actually stand back and observe yourself. It's called the multiple perspective advantage. And I write about that in the book too. Um, it's a state of mind that when you go into that state of mind, you create a very strong mind-brain integrative state and your brain, oxygen, blood flow, balance between hemispheres, physiology, all great things happen. And it gives you control and it blocks, listen to this, it blocks the negative photons. It's almost like you've put up a shield around yourself so those little darts that are shooting at you from that person don't penetrate into your, your field. You can literally block it. So is the 63-day process in your book? And when you decide to do a 63-day process, is that from like a recurring situation that you're like, all right, this person always feels like a buzzkill for me and I need to navigate this? But yes. So, yeah. So, so in the book, I explain the short version, which is what we're walking through. So same five steps. It's the five steps of how you get your mind self-regulated and managed. So if you could, I'm just explaining the in the moment thing that you can do walking onto the boat, you can do it in a few minutes and you could do it throughout the day that you're on the boat as things come up then. Um, but this is a pattern. So then you'd have to, yes, it's a toxic pattern. So there's obviously some sort of trauma or something that's happened at the base, some kind of relationship issue that that's what you would then unpack over the 63 days so that you can actually then see that person in the future but you've reconceptualized so it no longer affects you it, it's become their problem and hopefully they will then also do the work and you can eventually restore the relationship or if you've had a toxic trauma from the past like some whatever level childhood early adulthood whatever um, and some kind of trauma big t small t or an acute trauma that has become an established pattern so anything established you need to unpack over 63 days by the same token, if you want to build a new healthy habit, that also takes 63 days and you'd use the five steps too. So that could be related to diet, exercise, just a mindset you want to develop, a business plan, whatever. So anything you want behavior change to happen, you use the five steps. It's either the, the detoxing thing or it's a building thing in terms of something you want to create. So that, that should, so you, we should always be in a state of detoxing. And that's that 15 to 45 minutes where you do the five steps for 15 to 45 minutes, very clearly laid out in the second half of the book with lots of worked examples for each kind of thing, a toxic 
toxic thought, a toxic trauma, a big trauma, building of a habit and all that kind of stuff. And then the app, the NeuroCycle app has worked audio driven, the basic program and then the, the guides for grief, anger, frustration, imposter syndrome, people pleasing um, and grief, all these kinds of things. Got it. Okay. So the book will make yeah. Clear for somebody because I know that everybody, you know, it's not always the best strategy to just cut out people. It's like, how can we heal at the root? I feel like exactly. there's too many graphics on Instagram saying, like, cut out negativity. I know. Yeah. Boundaries are amazing. Talk. But what's even more amazing is when all of the negativity doesn't even hit you, like you were saying. That well, that's what I'm saying. So, a true boundary is if someone is invading your boundary, you have the right to stop that. And if they get mad at you, that's their problem, not yours. But how do you make it not your problem? The neurocycle will teach you how to create that gravitational field that literally then protects you and enables you to stop receiving that information. In to the brain because you don't want to because it comes through the gravitational field from the person and you process that and then you build it in your brain and your body and then as a field so so by doing these five steps and getting into the state that i said where you're not actually um where you where you stand back and observe your own thinking and where you see this as a helpful message and where you actually start gathering awareness and you do all the process reflect write recheck active reach which are the five steps as you do those they have been designed to create a almost like an impact penetrable barrier around you. Now, that doesn't mean your empathy is reduced. It means your empathy is increased. You cannot help someone else when you're you're such a neurochemical mess because you've been so emotionally damaged or or, are being damaged in that conversation. You can't think straight. We all know that. You get into an argument with someone, you say the most awful things to each other and or you think these horrible narratives and it's whatever we and in the moment we are very reactive and that's why the process of neuro of brain prep and neurocycling helps so even in that moment let's say you get on the boat and this person like immediately just says something that cuts you you can immediately do a, a brain prep exercise called the 10 second pause which i briefly introduced you to and that's breathe in for three counts out for seven and repeat that six to nine times so for a minute that's six times just repeat it in for Three in for three, out for seven, but add this component, which turn takes it to horn another level. As you breathe in, say the words in your head: think, feel. So in the inhalation of three, you say think, feel. On the exhalation of seven, you say choose, and you force that breath out. So you like a really force it out. And that pushes oxygen and blood flow to your brain, drops the neurochemical chaos. And if you can repeat that, that breathing with the cognitive component of think, feel, choose six to nine times, you would have got your physiology under control, which will start putting up that barrier. Then you can swing into a neurocycle. Okay, they're saying this, that's a signal. I can feel myself getting crazy and mad. I'm not going to, I know where it's coming from. Let's reflect, where's it coming from? We've got this problem between us. Uh, You may not have time to write. If you've, in the the daily stuff over 63 days, you can write and, and, and I teach a writing system called the Metacog, which is phenomenal for getting the two sides of the brain to work together and getting insight into your problem very quickly. Um, very powerful, very powerful tool. But if you're in the moment, you don't have time to write. So you just quickly visualize um, the scenes. You get very visual. You really see it like a movie playing in front of you. Each of these steps can take you just like a few, four seconds. And then you recheck it. So you look at your movie and say, okay, I'm not going to get stuck into what's happened in the past. I know what's happened in the past. I'm going to control this. I want to have a good day. So you reconceptualize and you say, instead, of that person saying and getting upset by what they're saying I'm going to see that person as coming from a a place of pain I don't fully understand what they what they what they're thinking my experience tells me that they're probably thinking this and this but there's a reason why so you you have this kind of discussion with yourself in the fourth step which is the recheck where you are reconceptualizing it and seeing it from another angle and then your action is something very simple like I am going to just smile and I'm going to mean it, and it's okay because I'm going to sort this out. And as you, the more you practice this, the better you get at it. The first time it won't work because that's just normal. The second time it will be a bit better. The third time. So by the time you've practiced this a few times, so you may have to do it six or seven times on the boat before you start feeling that this is kind of, okay, I'm getting to get to the point where this is not going to affect my day. And then you get as I said, like anything, mind is malleable. It's a skill. You can develop it. We've got to reawaken our deep thinking ability to think and f- think about our thinking, feeling, and choosing. So, so essentially drawing on that inner forest, that wise wise mind, that wired for love, that survival mode to help us. So the five steps is the tool, not the tool, the system 
for getting your mind under control. Mind is primal. It's the first thing. If you don't manage the first thing, everything else will continue to be a mess, no matter how good they are. You won't get the full benefit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like your five-step process is potentially a 15 to 45 minute per day thing that you can do over 63 days if you're trying to change a pattern or something that you don't like that's not serving you anymore. Exactly. And dealing with traumas from the past, which invade how we function and also building new good habits into your life. And then the other version is the short, quick, same five steps. And they just your moment by moment management of mind because your mind never stops. So you see using it on two levels, you're using it in the moment because every 10 seconds, we're very aware. That's what neuroscience shows us. So we can self-regulate all the time. And when we do, we managing our mind. So the neurocycle becomes that process. And then the big, the, the very focused, Focus, concentrated, you sit down and do those five steps very methodically for 15 to 45 minutes daily for 63 days. And then yes. all the science, all the science and the images and the pictures and the proof and the graphs and everything are in, in the book. Love it. Oh, this is so great. And I imagine a lot of people who have that really difficult family member, they're probably, you know, I think all of us get tempted to think like, oh, we just have to talk to them and tell them it's not acceptable. We need to cut them out. We need to avoid it. But what an empowering way to handle life is to actually look at what things are bringing up for you, go into a process and transform it. I'm definitely going to use it. I have a couple family members that make me want to go crazy. So this is really <laughs> exciting. And um, what else? I, I want to just know for everyone, where can they find your book? Where can they keep learning from you? I know you have the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess podcast. I'm so excited to come on with you. And I just love um, listening to your episodes and, and your interviews. So yeah, talk to us. Thank you. Um, well, I'm excited to have you on the episode. And I've got a feeling we're just going to continue this discussion. It's going to be wonderful. I, people can get hold of me. My Instagram handle is Dr. Caroline Leaf and obviously Facebook and uh, Twitter. And uh, my book is Cleaning Up a Mental Mess, as you've mentioned, available wherever books are sold and also through our website. And um, basically, you can get drleaf.com is my, is my uh, website. And um, Cleaning Up a Mental Mess is the podcast. Thank you again. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week.